Howdy, folks, and welcome to the Creating Knowledge Income podcast. I'm your host, Paul Erickson, and I'm delighted to have you. Today, we're talking about the success of problem solving. But before that, I'd like to share with you the true story about the girl who saved the town of Summit, South Dakota. Hang tight, Dynamite. You're listening to the Creating Knowledge Income podcast with the best host in the world, Paul Erickson. What's that good, Dad? Let's begin today's podcast with the true story about the girl who saved the town of Summit, South Dakota. Now, 2018, uh, 2018 marked the 100-year anniversary of the 1918 influenza pandemic, also known as the Great Influenza, or also known as the Spanish Flu. Now, nowadays, we take getting the flu for granted, or at least we used to until this global coronavirus pandemic has saturated our media, our minds, our culture, uh, our memes, and so on. And there's obviously lessons that we can learn. You know, things like this typically only happen once in a lifetime. And historically, they happen probably on average about every 100 years or so. So we were definitely due for something like this, unfortunately. But we can also learn from the great success stories of the past. And one of those stories is about a girl who saved Summit, South Dakota. Now, in order to put this in context and to help us understand why this is such a a neat story, is that back then, now keep in mind, in 1918, uh, we didn't have the medicine and the facilities and so on, the, the technology, medical technology that we have today. The Spanish flu, the great influenza, uh, infected 500 million people globally. Even remote Pacific islands and Arctic peoples were infected. So think about that when you consider how prevalent global travel is today. We didn't have that back then. People weren't flying on airplanes like they are now. Um, And so for for disease to be transmitted globally in that way, really uh, pretty astonishing. It resulted in nearly 100 million deaths, which which was about 5% of the world's population. And it was considered, is considered, one of the deadliest natural disasters in history. What also set apart the Spanish flu was that it predominantly killed young, healthy adults. Usually the flu claims juvenile, uh, like infants, uh, elderly or immuno, that's a tough word right there, immunocompromised victims. Historians claim that the outbreak started in Haskell County, Kansas. Uh, so, the, I mean, just smack in the middle of the Midwest was ground zero for this. What does this have to do with the town of Summit, South Dakota? Well, the town of Summit, South Dakota, which by no means is a large town, especially by, you know, especially back in 1918, that town would have been wiped out because of the flu, except for the efforts of one 14-year-old girl who was the only person in town who ultimately was never infected with the flu. 
And because of this, she would ride her bicycle with her basket filled with care packages of medicine, water, food, and other vital items. I don't know about the toilet paper status back then, uh, but she delivered the items house to house, wearing her mask to protect herself from contracting the flu. And as I said, she never got it. And she was credited with saving the town of Summit, South Dakota. The little girl was my grandmother, Myrtle Erickson. This has a lot of relevance, obviously, for me personally, but it really is a great lesson and story for all of us. And that is one person, even a teenage girl, can make a huge difference. You, dear listener, can make a difference in the community where you are. Whether or not there's a coronavirus, you have the ability today to have influence in your community. One of the best ways you can do that is through business. After all, this is a podcast that is for entrepreneurs, business people, uh, folks who are wanting to take their skill or knowledge and learn how to turn that into an online course so that they can have a benefit and help in the lives of others. And, and I talked about that in my very first inaugural podcast. And all you need, all, all my grandmother needed was to stay healthy and use her bike and care about the needs of others. How many teenagers do you know that are willing to step up to the plate like that. I think there are going to be more because of this. Um, I read years ago, I read Tom Brokaw's excellent book, The Greatest Generation, and I love that book. Um, ironically, when I was reading that book, I, I turned the page uh, to read about Joe Foss, who was a World War II uh, uh, fighter pilot ace, and when I was reading that, I just so happened to be on an airplane waiting to take off at Joe Foss Field in South Dakota, in, in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. And so I didn't know that that was going to be the next story in the book, but there it was. I thought, well, that's really neat. And then later on, finding out that his current resident, now he's since passed away, um, but at the time he was a resident of Scottsdale, Arizona, which is where I was flying back to. Um, so, not a huge connection, but, you know, kind of neat at the time. And so his story particularly stuck out. I have to respectfully disagree with Mr. Brokaw about one thing. It's the title of his book. I adore, I love the World War II generation. I love my grandparents' generation. And they were a great generation. They were one of the greatest generations in American history. But I don't think they're the greatest generation. I think the greatest generation, and, and hopefully you're following me here and you're thinking ahead and know what I'm going to say next, I think the greatest generation was their parents. Their parents, or probably my great-grandparents' generation, their generation was great because they survived the great influenza of 1918. They survived World War I. They survived the Great Depression. They had so many difficult things that they had to had to overcome, particularly at a time when I mean, nowadays we take uh, so many things for granted, uh, such as social media, such as cable TV, satellite TV, um, the the leaps that we've made in medical technology, and and we could go on, that have allowed us to overcome what we're overcoming now with the coronavirus. 
that have allowed us to stay in touch and not go crazy <laughs> being able to see people. We can stay socially connected um, through social media, through FaceTime and telephone and so on. And, and those things were not available back then, and yet they still persevered. So can we. As we transition now into the topic of the success of problem solving, these events and these stories give us context to help us understand why problem solving is such a vital skill. And it is a skill, and it is a skill that anybody can and should learn. A friend and mentor of mine says often that people's greatest problems are often that they don't know how to solve their own problems. That's exactly what we're talking about. The ability to be a creative problem solver is such an important and vital skill for all of us, particularly in these times, but in business. Even after the coronavirus is long over and is in the history books, and hopefully that's soon, that we'll be able to grow because of that. Those things are going to make us stronger if and only if we recognize how to learn those lessons, learn the lessons that we're learning now, and to think creatively, to allow them to strengthen us, to have that persistence, the tenacity to move forward. So how do we do that? Well, that's what we're talking about today. So the success of problem solving. When I when I was thinking about what I should title this podcast, that came to mind. But as I was thinking through that, it brought to mind the Apollo 13 mission. Now, I'm a huge, huge fan of the Apollo space program. It was still going on when I was uh, a baby. And, you know, by the time I was five years old, there was still enough of the Apollo space program going on in the form of Skylab, the Apollo uh, applications program. Uh, we would get National Geographic magazines that had the map of the moon or these great photos of the astronauts on the moon from Apollo 17 or Pete Conrad floating around in Skylab. And I love that. I ate it up. And, and I still do. I, I'm just a huge buff of the Apollo space program. But Apollo 13, of course, was made into a movie very famously by Ron Howard. It took a lot of those Apollo 13 events condensed it down into roughly two hours for us. And if it hadn't been for that, much of those, you know, much of the lessons from Apollo 13 would be lost on the public today. It, it of course, makes for great uh, film fodder. But historically speaking, it really was a triumph and a, a victory, even though the mission was a success. So Gene Kranz, one of the, one of the uh, mission control leaders, uh, famously titled the, titled the Apollo 13 mission a successful failure. And the reason why is it's a failure in the sense that they weren't able to meet hardly any of the objectives that the mission was supposed to meet. However, they were successful in dealing with an emergency, in retrieving the astronauts safely back home, and learned a lot of lessons. Okay, going forward, how do we keep this from happening again? Or if it does happen, how can we recover uh, better? And those sorts of difficulties, um, emergencies in life and so on, get us to think creatively, or at least they should. So now is not the time, even though you might be tired, uh, mentally you might be fatigued because of the change in routine because of the coronavirus, 
um, or even long after. I mean, maybe you're listening to this and the coronavirus is a thing of history. Whatever you're going through right now that is just weighing you down, sit down, get a journal, piece of paper or something, and identify those things. Just, just write, just be raw and write out, okay, what am I afraid of? What are the, so that's how you feel. What am I afraid of? And then what are the, the truths or the facts, or in other words, what are the problems that I currently have in my business? And that way you can sort of separate the feelings from the facts. Because oftentimes the fears, you know, you get to be my age and you recognize that the fears are often way worse than the reality. Um, somebody, you know, I don't know who originated this. It's, it's been around for years and years, of course. The, the idea that fear is an acronym for false evidence appearing real. But, you know, of course, there's a lot of truth in that. And the fact is that the things that we're afraid of oftentimes are way worse um, I, the fear is way worse than the thing that we're afraid of. So, writing down and separating in columns, okay, this is what my feelings are, this is why I have fear, but here are the facts. And then you can start to work through those facts of uh, problems that you have one by one. Now you've got something workable where before, we, you know, I, I'm just sitting in a, in a, a corner in a ball <laughs> trying to figure out, oh no, what am I going to do? Okay, so... That's a huge help right there because it gets you shifting, it gets your mind shifting from thinking in, in the abstract, thinking in the subjective to the objective. It gets you out of, I mean, when you're living in fear, you're not even operating tactically. And so that'll start to move you from just being reactionary to being responsive. It'll move you from just operating on raw emotion to getting to a tactical place where then you can transition, transition to a strategic place. And that's where we need to get to. We can learn these lessons from history, um, but we can learn them from our own personal history as well. And writing those things down will help us do that. What we're really talking about here is recognizing what are the obstacles and how can I turn those obstacles into opportunities? How can I take problems and convert them into projects? And that will make you become a project maker and, and a problem solver. And there are many such examples of that. We could spend a whole podcast just listing those things out, and we're not going to do that today. But here are some people who are project makers. They take, they take problems and turn them into projects. One of the problems that we're facing right now, all of us, if, you, if you're like me and you enjoy, enjoy working out, going to the gym and so on, I, I, it's a real drag that I can't go to the gym and work out. However... People like Jeff Cavalier of AthleanX.com. He has a YouTube channel, huge following on YouTube if you've not heard of him. Um, as soon as the gyms started getting, shutting, started getting shut down around the country, he came out with YouTube videos that up until the, this recording have all been about home workouts. And he started with a, a very solid, killer home workout. Um, and like I said, I go to the gym almost every day, and this workout was is killer. Um, and we're supposed to go through the routine that he outlined twice, and I could barely make it through one. And I know that I got a great workout. 
And then he's come out with ideas and gotten very creative about how we can continue that going forward. And that allowed him to go from having, right, he recognized that we all had problems, we all had obstacles. I can't go to the gym. What am I going to do for equipment? I miss this machine. I miss those weights. Uh, I miss being able to work out in this certain way. And he addressed all of that. And his, the number of views that he got on that first video just went through the roof within hours because he was addressing a problem that was a huge problem for his audience and people even who weren't in his audience before who are now definitely in his audience. Now, there are other people who are um, workout experts and so on on YouTube. There, there are a ton of them out there, right? But he was, I think, one of the first, and because he's also a licensed physical therapist, he knew exactly what we, people who, who need to work out, how we can do this at home. And it answered a huge need that we that we have. So he became a project maker. Jim Gaffigan, the comedian, uh, recognized that he, he and his family live in New York, so they're in a highly affected area. They are quarantined. He and his wife have five children. And he recognized, you know, there are people who don't have families right now, or at least not accessible, who can't travel to be with their families or um, you know, just maybe even young couples who are shut in and, and just anybody who, who needs that human connection. So since that quarantine happened, he, every night at 6 p.m. Eastern on YouTube, they, they stream live and have dinner, dinner with the Gaffigans, which is a tremendous idea. And it's just he, his wife, their kids, their family, just being themselves for an hour or however long dinner takes and sharing their family stories and you get the idea and inviting us into their home in order to meet a need that we all have and that is social interaction with the human species. We are a relational people and we need that sense of connectivity to help us mentally to make it through these things. They recognize that. That's where you and I need to be. So how do we get to be in that mindset? How do we recognize, you know, an Apollo 13 has happened in my life. How do I overcome this? How do I not freak out and shut down? Instead, how do I become a solutions provider? And in business, that's a vital I think it's one of the most important skills and characteristics a person can have because problems can and will come up in business. They come up in life. Why shouldn't they come up in business? Because after all, business is really human beings, or at least it should be about human beings. Here's how you do that. Like I said, you can write down you know, on a piece of paper the things that you're afraid of. That's how you feel. And you can write down the facts. Successful businesses find and recognize the problems that their audience faces and provide solutions. So think about your target audience. First of all, you need to identify who your target, is, uh, target audience is if you haven't done that. If you are in a service-oriented business, then that can be, can be easier than a product-driven business. Now, as I've mentioned in a previous podcast, one of my side hustles is being a voice instructor. In other words, I teach people how to sing. And I have to think about, okay, what is the problem that my target, my, my target audience, which are my students and potential students, 
What problems do they face? And generally speaking, probably the biggest problem that they face is stage fright. Uh, how do I sing in front of people without you know, looking scared, <laughs> without looking afraid, um, or without being afraid if, if they can get to that level? Because that's one of the top 10 fears that people have right up there with the fear of falling is public speaking or public singing. And, and so, in other words, sometimes the problems are obvious. Sometimes the problems require a level of education, like you have to tell people this problem exists and, and I have the solution for it. And then sometimes there are the manufactured problems in the sense that um, nobody really needed cars when they came out. But the more that cars became prevalent and Henry Ford convinced people this is what we need, we... we shifted from the horse-driven carriage to the horseless carriage, shorten that word carriage, and you have the word car, and here we are today. How do we do that? Well, I'm going to use my voice lessons as a metaphor. I'm not going to teach you to sing, right? But give you some hints on how this works. So you have the, the general problems. You just know that your audience generally has this problem. For me, in teaching voice lessons, I know that most people have... A, a general stage fright. Not all of them. Sometimes I get those students that are, are absolute hams and love getting up in front of people, and I'm like that. I tend to be like that by nature. But there are those people who want to sing, they love to sing, but getting up in front of people and singing, that's a problem. Now, my daughter teaches piano. For her, to, to help us understand this a little better, the problem's sort of built in. In other words, most people understand that if they sit in front of the piano, they just don't start playing. You know, they can maybe play chopsticks. And so most people can sit down and recognize, I can't play piano, but I'd really like to learn how to play piano. And so they go to a piano teacher and the problem is self-evident. I don't know how to, how to play piano, but you're a teacher who does know how and you can teach me how to play piano. Now, how's that different from learning how to sing? Well, I, I think most people think that they know how to sing. And they may sing. Uh, we all like to sing in the shower. You know, I shouldn't say we all, but, but many people like to sing in the shower because the acoustics are, are fun. You know, we hear ourselves echo and so on. And we're alone. And so we sing. Well, because of that, or we sing in the car, we sing along with the track on, on the um, MP3 player, or, you know, maybe if you're still using compact discs, whatever's in the car, whatever's on the radio. And because of that, we're listening to somebody else sing, and we try to make our voice sound like that person singing, and we sort of convince ourselves that we can sing. And in our minds, you know, we can picture ourselves singing in front of the thousands of people in the arena and all that. And so it takes a little more convincing to help people recognize that, yes, you like to sing, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you're singing properly. There's a level of education that has to take place just to get people to recognize that they need singing lessons. So my daughter gets way more students as a piano teacher than I do as a voice teacher because of that reason. Another contrast would be somebody who sells appliances versus a doctor. If you sell appliances, well, I, okay, if I'm in your target audience, if if I have an appliance that absolutely breaks, I mean, it's dead, 
and I don't know how to fix it. And a repairman says, you know, you just need to take this out back and shoot it. I mean, that's how dead it is. Well, then I know I need to go get an appliance. But how often does that happen? Not really very often. Or maybe if we move and we want to buy new appliances, sure. But those spaces of time in between major appliance purchases is pretty big. It's years, usually. So for me to just sit around the house and think, you know, I think I'd like a new refrigerator, chances are it's not going to happen unless, unless the need arises. Okay. Whereas if I'm sick uh, or if I, I break a bone or, I, I mean, like really, really sick, then I know, you know what, I need to go to the doctor. And oftentimes we end up going to the doctor when it's too late. And most people are, are like, boy, I can't wait until my next physical. I can't wait until my annual checkup. We're not like that. You know, I can't wait to go to the dentist and, you know, after six months and have this guy poke around my gums. I love that. We don't think that way. But the needs are built in because there's a problem. We call the doctor, we call the dentist, and we go. Taxes, same way. A tax accountant has, their audience has a built-in problem. I need to have my taxes done. It's that time of year. So I'm going to call my tax accountant and have him or her help me with that. The problem's built in. Where a lot of times we, you know, maybe there are other things like, like I say, major products and so on. Maybe buying a car isn't necessarily something that's on my radar today. My car may be operating just fine and I'm content. But usually, unless I, you know, I'm rich, usually I don't sit there and I think, you know, I wish my car was red instead of silver. And I think I'm going to run off and get a red car today. That usually doesn't happen. Okay. So recognizing what your audience's problems are and what they face and how you can solve that problem, that is what is going to help you become a successful entrepreneur. So this podcast is creating knowledge income. How do I take the skill or knowledge that I have and turn that into passive income? I can do that. One of the easiest ways that you can do that is by recognizing, okay, what is a problem that that people have that I am able to solve? How can I take my skill and knowledge and help them in a way that people are, I mean, we're talking about business to be blunt. How, how can I help them in a way that they're willing to pay me to help them? Is my service worthy for hire? May I say to you, yes, it is. And that's the great thing about America is we have with capitalism, with free enterprise, we have the opportunity to be problem solvers. We can be constructors and not merely consumers. Being a constructor is another way of saying somebody who knows how to take obstacles and turn them into opportunities, somebody who knows how to take problems and turn them into projects, to be project makers, to be overcomers. Writing down your fears like we talked about before and your facts, do that same thing. But this time, put yourself in the shoes of your target audience. Be empathetic. Think through their day. Think through their needs, their fears, their problems. Spend 15 minutes to half an hour writing down what are the problems my audience has and how can I 
help them solve those problems? What fears do they have? And how can I help to comfort them and alleviate those fears? Just that alone, you, you could have, by doing that, you could have so many ideas, business ideas, uh, that would be tangible ideas that you could then take and run with and start creating business plans and moving forward with your entrepreneurial goals. So, learning how to be a project maker, learning how to be a constructor instead of just a consumer, um, that's, that's a game changer for your business, okay? Grandma Myrtle, 14 years old. How often do we hear about heroic stories of teenagers like that? But she was willing to put herself out there to be the problem solver. All it took her was some of her time, was her bike, what, what tools she had at hand with a basket on it, and the care items that were provided to her that she could take around, and the compassion. And that's probably the biggest thing right there, the compassion, the empathy that she could have by doing that. Don't you think that she personally was rewarded? Now, she didn't do it for hire, I don't believe. Nobody paid her to do that. But just knowing that she was in a place, uh, that she was in a place for such a time as that. Well, you too can be in where you in the place where you are in the time that we're in for such a purpose as this. How do you know that there isn't a skill or knowledge that you have that can be a tremendous help and encouragement to someone else, even in business, even charging for it? And that's really the point. You have to get in the mindset that you are, you really are, dear listener, worthy of your wages. You are worthy to be hired for what you know and what you can do. You folks who are, are maybe working in delivery, certainly you folks in medical, in um, police, first responders, fire, um, EMT, and so on, we are indebted to you right now. We are so thankful for you. We have taken you for granted. And, and now we understand how, how thankful we are for you. But we're also thankful for those people who we tend to not think of until the problems arise. The plumber, when, when the drain stopped up, uh, like the whole, the big you know, household main drain, when that gets stopped up, or when the pipe breaks, the electrician, when something in the house, something with the wiring isn't working right, the appliance repair guy. I mean, these are all services, and they're all based usually primarily on the problems that people have and how we can solve them, how we can fix them. Um, here in Arizona, believe me, when the air conditioner isn't working and it's 110 or more outside, that's a huge problem and we need that air fixed. Putting yourself in a position of, I need to be a problem solver. Write it down, put yourself in the shoes of your audience, really feel what they're going through, be empathetic and write down not just bullet points. You start with the bullet points, but write down, here's how I can solve their problem. And when somebody asks you, so what do you do? Well, what I do is I, here's the problem, fill in the blank, and I, and I help those people overcome that problem by fill in the blank. 
So for me, I, I have training in online learning from, from an old previous job. I love to teach. I love teaching voice. I love teaching in general. I've been a web developer. I've been in a lot of different areas of business and entrepreneurship. So when people call me, I recognize they're calling me usually with a problem. It's seldom a client calls me just to see how I'm doing, right? Usually when we pick up the phone to talk to people, it's, what do you want? <laughs> and I don't mean that unkind, because that's an opportunity for us to help be a problem solver. So somebody asks me, you know, the elevator pitch, right? You've got enough time between floors when somebody asks you, so what do you do for a living? That's why it's called an elevator pitch. You've got to tell them succinctly in 30 seconds-ish who you are and what it is you do. So if somebody asks me, well, Paul Erickson, what do you do? What I do is I help entrepreneurs by taking the skill or knowledge that they already have and teaching them how to turn that into passive income. Boom, that's it. I recognize that they have a problem that they're an entrepreneur, but they want to make money passively. And one way they can do that is by taking the skill or knowledge that they already have. I'm not here to teach them that new skill or knowledge. I'm here to teach them. I'm, I'm here to give them a new skill, which is to take their current skill or knowledge and how they can flip that into something that works for them. As I've said before, as a voice teacher, there's in a previous podcast, I've said this before. As a voice teacher, there can only be one of me teaching one person at a time. Yes, I've taught more than one person, but obviously that's not as, as good of a learning environment as it is just working one-to-one. -one. Um, yes, I've been a choir director, and yes, I can teach a choir how to sing. But again, that's teaching a choir, and the result is a little different than just teaching somebody one-to-one. So there's only so much that I can do to give myself omnipresence, or in other words, to be able to teach more than one person at a time, because physically I'm just a human being and I can't do that. Uh, and cloning for me isn't a thing yet, right? And that would be really scary for the world if there was a clone of me. <laughs> so the next best thing is to use the tools that we have available to us. And in this day and age, thankfully, that is the internet. So I can create by taking my skill and knowledge, which is teaching people how to sing and how to sing properly, I can take that knowledge and create an online course. Now I can multiply myself because people can pay me to take that course to be their voice teacher, and they can be anywhere in the world, anytime, any place, and take my course and learn how to sing properly. And how to overcome their fear of being in front of people. Now, the other now to go from the general to the specific here, we were talking earlier about recognizing the problems that the audience has. And we were talking in a general sense. Okay, So if my car is broken, I need to buy a car, I can go to a car dealership. Um, if my taxes need to be done, that's a built-in problem. I can go to a tax accountant or use tax software for that matter. Um, and you get, you know, we've talked about that. But to get more specific, in this, for singing, the, there is generally people are afraid to get up in front of the public and do that. And even I, from time to time, can have that moment of, 
of uh, what am I about to do here? But I know because I, you know, I self-teach, right? I know how to do this. I know how to overcome that and turn that into a positive energy and, and sing with confidence. And that's really the goal that I have with all of my students. However, there are those other questions that become more, you know, as people learn how to sing, they're like, okay, one of the most common questions is how do I extend my range? How can I sing? How can I get from singing just one octave to maybe reaching three octaves or at least two octaves? And, and so that's probably one of the most common questions I get. How can I extend my range and usually upward? And, and I'm not going to tell you that right now, but, but the, again, they are identifying a, what is to them, to my students, a, what they perceive to be a problem. Now, they can have a gorgeous voice and, and, um, and just a wonderful timbre, tone, quality to their voice, but only be able to sing an octave. And that's fine. That's great. If that's all they ever do, to be able to do that properly and to do it beautifully and to do it confidently, that's, that's it. We've got them there. However, if they say, but I'd really like to extend my range, they have a perceived problem, and it's more specific than the general problem that I address with just overcoming stage fright, which is what generally the population has. So now we've gotten to a more specific problem that I can help them with and, and give them exercises and coach them and encourage them, help them learn how to, how to practice and be persistent at it so that they can extend their vocal range. Or maybe there is a more legitimate problem, such as a speech impediment or something with even their hearing. I mean, they may have an hearing, a hearing impairment in one ear, and there are things that I can do to help them overcome that. And so the one is a perceived problem, which is, how can I extend my range? And the other is an actual mechanical problem, which is perhaps a speech impediment or a hearing impairment. And there are things that we can do in both of those cases. And really what I'm getting to now is understanding the difference between the mental and the mechanical. Not being able to sing because of stage fright, some kind of fear, is a mental issue, not a mechanical one. But oftentimes those mental issues can create mechanical ones. In other words, if a person is afraid to sing, they tense up and tension will kill the voice. And so we've got to get them to relax. But I can, I, and I can teach a student physically how to relax their vocal folds and, you know, be able to have good posture, all those kinds of things to help them overcome that. However, the mental game, that's really where the problem is. And so we identify the problem really is a mental problem, where if somebody has a speech impediment or a hearing impairment, that's a mechanical issue. And so the tools that we use to help overcome that and or at least be able to learn how can I use that even to an advantage, that's a different set of skills. It's a different problem, but it's an opportunity. So here's my point in saying all of that is in your line of work, in your entrepreneurial endeavors, in your wanting to create an online course to generate passive income for yourself, recognize that there is generally a, a problem that your audience has. There could be several, but focus on the, the one that you know you can solve. Niche down to blow up your business, okay? There could be several problems that you can address, but focus on one, at least focus on one 
in your marketing efforts in letting people know how you can solve their problem. And then you can start to address the other issues. I'm going to leave you with this story that is, again, true. We started with a story, we're going to end with a story, a marketing story. And it's, it's been some years since this commercial has been out. But it's one of my favorite commercials and one of the stories, and the story behind it is one of my favorites to tell in regards to business and marketing and entrepreneurship. Years ago, the Jeep Automotive Company, you know, the Jeep Cherokee and so on, wanted uh, to hire an ad agency to start promoting Jeeps during the Olympics in particular. Um, This was a few Olympics ago. And the executives of the Jeep board said to the ad agency, here's what the Jeep does. I mean, it, it handles well. Of course, you know, all the things that Jeeps are well known for, um, just, uh, you know, good suspension and being able to go not just on the road, but off the road. And, you know, I talked about all the, you know, gave them the list of all of the things that the Jeep could do. And the agency, ad agency said, great, okay, we'll take that and we'll run with it. So what they did is they produced two sets of commercials. One was for the executive board, and the other commercial was for the general public, which is what we saw. The commercial for the executives, they showed to them first in their reveal, you know, their big meeting where they revealed the, the commercial. And it talked about all the things that the, that the Jeep could do. And the executives were, great, you know, that's great. And then they said, okay, but here's the commercial that you should use. <laughs> and, and, and if uh, you're old enough, um, you'll, you'll recognize this. If not, I'm sure it's out on YouTube. I didn't check that, but you can look it up. But the scene is a winter scene where there is snow piled very high. And all you see is just white and maybe some trees poking up here and there. And you see something moving in the snow furrowing along underneath, just under the surface, and you don't know what it is. And it, it comes to a stop and it turns a corner And so there's a right angle now that's been paved in the snow, and you still don't know what's under the snow until it stops. And all of a sudden you see a red light, the two red lights come on when it stops, and a a red, uh, a yellow light, excuse me, blinking on and off on the right side of those two lights. And then as the vehicle turns right and starts to move, the snow is disturbed and falls and reveals that there was a stop sign there. And I love that commercial because number one, what this is communicating is a Jeep can go anywhere. And number two, the thing I love about it is you never see the car. They never showed the vehicle because it was buried under the snow. We don't know if it was red, if it was black, if it was blue or green, we don't know. But it communicated so much. It was so simple and so powerful. And it, it helped convey this idea that here's a problem and here's how Jeep can, sol- can solve that problem. But also, think about the ad agency. They addressed what the executives wanted in their first commercials. The executives wanted, well, you know, it breaks... Great, you know, and it goes from zero to 60 at this speed and it can go anywhere and, you know, you get the idea. But then they said, okay, but the ad agency said, but here's the commercial you need to show 
your audience. And of course, that's what was published to the public. So where are we going with this? Recognize the problems of your audience. If there's more than one, focus on that one problem, and that will become your niche. Those people whose problems, that specific problem that you address will will be ecstatic that you are the problem solver for them. And they're going to be willing to pay for that because you're meeting that specific need. So niche down to blow up. If you try to be everything to everybody, you're going to be nothing to no one. So focus down. You may be able to solve five problems. And even if your, your product or your service can solve those five problems, just focus on one, the biggest one, and be the solution that people need. Be the person who takes obstacles and turn them into opportunities, who can solve problems by turning them into projects. Be the constructor, not merely a consumer. And I hope that's a tremendous help to you today. Thank you so very much for listening. I appreciate you being there. I hope this has been an encouragement to you. And as I end with every podcast, remember to be smart, be good, be humble, and do it now. God bless you. Thank you for listening to the Creating Knowledge Income Podcast with your awesome host, Paul Erickson. Awesome? Really, Dad? Anyway subscribe to his podcast, YouTube channel, Facebook, and Instagram at paulerickson.com. So smash that like button, hit that subscribe, ring that bell, face the Facebook, and Insta the Instagram. All right, Dad, that'll be $5.